From the Three Story Method Podcast Network. This is the Serial Fiction Show. I'm Christine Daigle. And I'm J.P. Reinbush. Welcome to the Reader Serial Fiction Show. Today, we've got a steampunk fairy tale retelling by Kelsey Josephson called Forsaken Beauty and the Ether Beast. A bookish strong woman longs for freedom. A beast searches for a cure. Together, they'll break man-made curses. After her own father sells her to the unscrupulous ringmaster, Belle thinks she'll spend the rest of her days performing cheap stunts while the Nazurian masses gawk at her ether-poisoned body. A chance encounter with a beast by her solitary campfire changes everything. Can they find liberation, or will the past consume them both? Kelsey Josephson has a deep love for universal monster movies, all things related to Nikola Tesla, and iced coffee. Her favorite genres to write are speculative fiction, sci-fi, and fantasy, all with a dash of horror. Her Gaslight fantasy series, Strange Happenings, can be found on most major distributors. Forsaken Beauty and the Ether Beast, her sci-fi fantasy serial, is on Kindle, Vela, and Patreon. And now a sample of Forsaken Beauty and the Ether Beast. Episode 1. The circus alum build their strong woman as Belle to mock her. Her dull, charcoal hair matched the soot-filled sky of Etherborn, the miserable mining town she called home, before she was bought for a meager sack of silver coins. No one would call her a beauty. Blue veins were visible underneath her almost translucent skin. She towered over the tallest man at every show. Audiences whispered there was something wild and unnatural in her blood to give her such height and strength. The truth was far more simple. The same ether that kept the airships running above Nuzaran was a volatile poison undiluted in the mines. Both of Bell's parents labored in the mines since they were old enough to work the tools. The ether poison took her mother before she was six. Belle wasn't the first child born with ether poison deformities, but hers were the most striking. When the ringmaster heard about the young girl of massive stature and supernatural power, he showed up at their crooked shack with coins and false promises. Belle tried not to hate her father for believing. He had looked so desperate and frail. It will be better than the mines. Father hugged her goodbye, still clutching the money. It'd been ten years. She wondered if the poison had taken him, too. The caravan should have been on the road south, but winter had come early. Worse, tales reached the circus of a hurricane ravaging the next city they were due to perform in. If Minport flooded, it would be a disaster for a circus known for its light show and steam-powered props. The ringmaster decided to set up camp halfway to their destination until the storm blew over. Belle's shabby trailer was parked at the edge of the forest. Further into the clearing, other performers laughed around their fire. The circus was a found family for misfits, but only for those who joined willingly. The copper ankle bracelet was a constant reminder of her status. If she strayed too far, the electrical fence would send a nasty shock through it. She tested the boundary and found the perfect spot. 
picturesque birch trees gave her enough privacy that she could pretend she was alone. Tonight, Belle admired the falling snow as she sipped hot mulled cider by her cozy fire. Tension melted as her belly was warmed. Her brows furrowed when she heard twigs snapping. No one ever dined with her. Low, rumbling growls followed more snapping twigs. Closer this time. A bear emerged from the thicket behind the campfire. All she could see was its hazy silhouette behind the smoke. Belle froze, calculating if she could grab the jagged branch on the ground, barely out of her arm's long reach, unnoticed. The creature stood on its hind legs. It wasn't a bear. Transfixed, Belle could only watch as the not-bear stalked closer. Delicate, but deadly antlers crowned his head. His lean body was covered in silver fur, with specks of black reminiscent of the birch tree's patterned bark behind him. His paws ended in long, wicked claws extended toward her. There was a hungry gleam in his yellow, owlish eyes, but Belle thought she also saw pain and loneliness. She wondered if it was a trick of the light, or if it was her own foolish hope. She reached into her pouch for jerky and held out several pieces for her uninvited guest. Perhaps the beast would take it and leave, or he might devour her whole. Belle supposed she should have cared more about the latter. Go on, you can have some. Belle waited with bated breath while the beast considered her offering. The creature snatched the jerky and fled into the night, leaving Belle relieved and oddly bereft. Her cider had grown cold, but she finished it before turning in for the night. Dawn revealed another blanket of snow on the caravan. The ringmaster put Belle to work chopping more firewood for the camp. She didn't breathe a word about her visitor. She wouldn't be responsible for another unwilling act joining the show. But she scanned the trees as she finished her tasks. The day was disappointingly mundane. As the sun set, her muscles burned. She considered going straight to bed, or using precious fuel for her lantern to read a book from the secret cache hidden under her cot. But she felt compelled to stay by the fire a little longer sipping cider again. When the moon was high, familiar rustling sounded in the thicket. The creature emerged, walking upright. I love how you flipped Belle into this tall, strong giant and that her name is used to mock her. So I just thought that was a fabulous beginning to this serial. What inspired you to retell Beauty and the Beast in the steampunk genre? Well, um, I like writing the monstrous and the unusual. It's my favorite genre to play with. And I'm also a huge sucker for anything with uh, steampunk tech. Um, my background was electrical engineering. And um, I just love watching how machines work. And I like the idea of taking that to the extreme and um, seeing what could have been had technology gone another way. And for Beauty and the Beast, uh, specifically, um, like a lot of people my age, like you watch the Disney movies growing up, Beauty and the Beast was my favorite. Loved the Gothic castle, um, the library, the the beast design. But, you know, as you get older, you get 
bothered by the power imbalance there um where the beast is allowed to be strong and grumpy to put it mildly and um all these other things and i just thought you know what would the story be like if they were on a little bit more equal footing and the idea just took off from there i i had that opening scene and we were off and running that doesn't usually happen for me I love that. It, it is such a fun twist. Um, you have a substance in your story that you call ether, which powers airships and poisons miners, which potentially grants them or their children supernatural abilities. What can you tell us about ether and what kind of research went into this and other parts of your story? Well, um, a lot of it actually comes from the superhero genre. Um, I'm a big comic book fan, and I love the idea of um, like this element X or whatever, which in my story, it's ether, that can have something beneficial, but the consequences can be dire. Um, like it can uh, also affect the environment and things like that. And um, I, I drew on headlines of, you know, oil spills and things like that and um, disasters and it, for all the negative side of things. And then for the more positive things, just thinking about superheroes from comic books and um, kind of uh, merging some ideas there. So besides the ether, what else would you like readers to know about this story or to be excited about? Um, I am not afraid to get weird with the world building on this one because um, like my other, my previous work has been alternate history. And so it's a little bit more grounded in reality since this is set in a more fantasy setting. Um, I have a lot of fun with the world building for the cities. We've got airships. Um, we've got, um, Oh, automatons coming up, which we're a ways away from that. I just looked at my scheduling for that. I, that's it's coming. Um, and like playing with the technology since it's different than our timeline. Um, it's almost to the point of magical with the tech, but there is some grounding in reality there with how um, circuitry works and um early prototypes like I even looked at some stuff from Leonardo da Vinci to see like what would happen if we carried some of these ideas on and saw them in reality so I like to have fun with my world building so with your world building and your story overall I know that you have this on Vela you have it on Fictionate and also you have a Patreon where you release the episodes early do you have everything planned out? Like how far ahead do you have it planned out? And then is audience participation playing a role in where that story is going? Um, right now I have episodes completed through um, episode 10 and I have an overall outline of how the whole thing ends. Um, I try to draft, like batch my drafts a few at a time, just first drafts, just get the story on the page and then I edit one at a time um, closer to when I schedule them. Um, as far as reader participation, I did have a reader kind of 
I've actually had a couple readers guess a little more about the beast origin and things like that. And so I rewarded some of that with the episode zero that I put up on Patreon and Fictionate so that also I wouldn't be violating Vela's terms of service having a, a free episode available. But um, yeah, I think if the audience picks up on something and is enthusiastic uh, about it, yeah, I will happily run with it. Um, Vela's uh, interesting because they have a review section, but they don't have like a commenting section on there. So, so far, participate like audience participation there, it would have to mostly occur on social media more than anything else. But yeah, if I have a reader that's excited about a thing, yeah, I will definitely run with it. Excellent. So, in your prequel, you have it from the beast's point of view, which is different than in your first episode. Uh, what other characters are you excited for readers to read about and why? Well, I've got two characters coming up. Um, one happens in episode 10, which will be in a couple weeks here for at the time of this recording. Um, their plan for getting away from my villain, the ringmaster, is going to go terribly wrong. And... Um, we're going to be meeting the uh, captain of one of those airships and it's, it's going to be a good time. I am very, very excited about her. And, um, further on down, there is a, um, I, I don't want to say mad scientist because this one's is actually on the side of good, but there is a uh, mad scientist character that I am very excited about them meeting on down the line because, I mean, obviously with um, Beast the way that he is in my story and Belle the way that she is, they're going to be on the fringes of society. They're not going to be able to blend right in just, you know, in a city and um, the people that they are going to be meeting up with, um, they're going to be fun. And I'm excited for that. So your story, uh, it starts off with, with the traveling circus. And I suspect, based off of what you just said, that Belle is going to be traveling a lot. Um, and it sounds like without the circus. Is there a place that you are excited for readers to see? And what makes that place special? Well, there is a city that's kind of fallen off the grid um, from society in general, um, things happen. Like I allude to this in, um, episode one that like, not all the cities are created equally here. You have this horrible mining town that Belle was from where, you know, her father thinks that it's a viable thing to, uh, sell her off to the ringmaster, to the circus. Um, and then you have these fabulous cities like Minport where there's, um, the circus is coming to town. There's airships, there's commerce, there's all of these things. And um, this little forgotten village, um, it's um, seen the after effects of some changes that has ha happened in the, the country. And they're trying to pick up the pieces and they've managed to build a life for themselves using some of the tech that like had been thought of in other ways that have hurt people, but they have been trying to find ways to have it be more helpful without having to worry about um, so much of the negatives and like putting people at a disadvantage or hurting them. And I'm really excited to show that community. It, it, it's really special to me. So it's going to be a while before we get there, but I'm very, very looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. So you talked a bit about tech and about 
mad scientists. Do you have a favorite mad science experiment or magical tech in your world? Ooh, easily is going to be um, the sentient automaton that's coming up in episode 11. He is not supposed to exist. And I really like doing things like that. I really love the trope of robot with a personality. And um, I am very, very excited about that because he hangs out on an airship, which sounds like a disaster waiting to happen, but it's fun. And I can't wait to see it happen for the readers. Is there anything you haven't explored yet that you plan to or that you want to? Well, um, where people who've read the prequel from the Beast point of view get the idea that the person responsible for him, that this isn't the only um, creature that she's experimented with. And I am very excited to introduce some more of her uh, creations and how that's going to play into the story as well. I drew a lot of influence from the island of Dr. Moreau for that one, and I'm very excited to write some craziness there. So I'm curious about your other series, Strange Happenings, which is a series of shorter books in alternate timelines that's meant to be read in a single sitting like Penny Dreadfuls. Is there any crossover between uh, Strange Happenings and Ether Beast? Well, Right now, there's not, I have, I, I had made a joke about this um, to a reader that like with the way that I write tech, it's entirely possible I could open up a portal somewhere and have my characters meet up because I think that they would get a kick out of each other. Um, the world of strange happenings, it's, um, it's if our timeline had gone a different way and basically Nikola Tesla's technology was like people actually embraced it and he didn't make a terrible deal that left him penniless and we got to use his tech. And there's, you know, again, some more mad science there because I can't help myself. Um, and I, it, the first story in there is basically a twist on um, Frankenstein with an all female cast and it's set on a train. Um, I feel like my characters from that would be trying to help Belle and Beast and I think that the characters would be able to earn the trust of Beast, given that um, the other character is basically a Frankenstein creature that has um, prosthetics made out of metal and um, lots of pneumatic hissing and things like that. So they can definitely relate to the uh, unorthodox appearance. Awesome. I think definitely if uh, you even have it as a, a holiday special for your Patreon, we we readers would love that. Um, I definitely want that now. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it has to be just a short little thing, that's fine. I mean, of course, we would love more, but just saying, a little short With thing Tesla. would be great. Can Tesla, Tesla show up? Yeah. Yes, um, and he does in my other series, and I'm very excited about being able to write him uh, in this alternate universe. It makes me happy. <laughs> why, why does that make you happy? Um, so my background with uh, electrical engineering um like that was how I learned about him. And um, there was this really great um, movie. Gosh, it was made years ago. It's on Amazon prime. And it was like, prestige? The, was it the prestige? Some, no, uh, the prestige is great too. That was great. There was one that was David based Bowie. more on Nikola Tesla's life. And um, the, the actor that they got to play him looks just like, just like him. And it was an older movie. Like I think Orson Welles was a character 
in there, but it was like, was it like the secret life of Nikola Tesla or something like that? I'll, I'll have to look up the name, but it was really cool because like it showed um, like more of where he was coming from and stuff. And I just, I don't know, I feel terrible for, you know, this person that lived so long ago that like he had all these great ideas, but people didn't take him seriously. And he did make bad decisions, but I don't know. It just, it, it irks me whenever I see like an inspirational quote with Einstein on there, or not Einstein, sorry, um, Edison. Edison, yes, on there whenever, yes, Edison did great things, but he also was just not a great human being, you know? How accurate is the uh, drunk history version of Tesla? Have you seen that one? I have. I have. I oh my gosh, I love the drunk history um, stuff. I watched one on Houdini for research for a future project, and I just, oh my gosh, that was, yeah, um, they, their stuff is great. That was the best quote. What is it? Tesla was the electric Jesus. If you have not seen that, I highly recommend it. It's great. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a lot of my sentiments about Tesla. Like, yeah. <laughs> Um, and that was The Secret of Nikola Tesla. It's a 1980 film, just to throw that out there. Yeah, I had not heard of it. And it just, it, I, I'm sure it was like an algorithm or something. And it popped up in my to watch. And I, I've never hit click faster in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a final question, uh, what do you like most about writing serial fiction? I like the satisfaction of being able to have quick turnaround for episodes. I'm, I'm at home with two young children. And before the pandemic hit, I was in the midst of the second draft of a full length novel, a different steampunk project. And as soon as my kids were at home for school and well, everything, I can't give that the kind of attention that it needs. So I started turning to writing shorter stories and like novelette length things. And then whenever Kindle Vela was announced, I'm like, wow, I can edit, you know, 1500 words, give or take, and have that come out on time. So I think that that's really cool. And also as a reader, I like being able to sneak in an episode of being able to read for five minutes, because sometimes these days, five minutes is all I have attention for at the end of the day. And I can read these in chunks, like if I'm cooking or like can't sleep, you know, I can read one episode, or if there's a bunch of them on there, I can read like six at a time time and it's not a huge investment and like I can come back to it and I've got more to look forward to. So it's a, it's a fun format and I hope that like it keeps picking up more because I really enjoy writing it. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about your uh, Vela. Thank you. Thank you. Our thanks today to Kelsey Josephson for letting us share their episode. If you liked it, you can read the first three episodes free on Kindle Vela. The link is in the show notes. Also, if you're a writer, we have a companion podcast, The Writer's Serial Fiction Show, where we talk with authors about their stories and discuss the elements of writing compelling serial fiction. We want to thank you for listening to The Reader's Serial Fiction Show. If you know someone who might enjoy the show, send them your favorite episode link. And if you want to leave an Apple podcast review, we read all of them and use your suggestions. You can also leave a comment on this episode on our website. Finally, we now have a Patreon where you can get Serial Fiction Show episodes early. We also have tons of other things in the works. Check it out at patreon.com slash Serial Fiction Show. And that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time with another Serial Fiction episode. And, and that's, that's a wrap. A wrap.
steampunk is such a gorgeous aesthetic. Yes, I I I, I wish that there was more of it. Like I I get it why there's not, but like it's it's fun. <laughs> what did um someone said steampunk is when Goss discovered brown, and I'm like, hey, oh, yes. I resemble that <laughs> remark. <laughs> I, I I do too because like I straddle the line between not like goth and nerd so hard, and then mm-hmm. I find steampunk, and it's like my people because like I love wearing black, but I. I like other colors too. And like so much of my stuff is brown and brass and yeah. <laughs> you need a little brown once in a while. 